Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Tomato Timer. And today I have a good friend, someone you might have met in the previous episode of Get to Uni. Luke Cavanaugh is joining us and he is recent graduate with a first in English from Cambridge. And he's now pursuing a global leadership course and master's in global affairs at, at the Schwarzman Scholars Program in Qinghao University in China. He also co-founded the Steer Think Tank for Europe and Asia Relations where together with a team of 50 volunteers, he's working across 33 countries, which is an incredible achievement. Luke, it's so good to have you. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ziba. Um, I'm very well, thank you. It's currently late evening in um, Beijing and I guess early morning in the UK. Relatively early, yep. Um, and thank you for that because I know time zones are a little difficult to manage, but it's good to have you. I think what I wanted to kick off with was this really interesting journey that you've had in terms of academia and where you are at this point um i know when we first met you were working on a consultancy project within your within your university years um you shaped your english course into something which supported your more political ideas further you then went on to get onto this really prestigious program in global affairs and now you're planning some some really exciting stuff in the future as well how have you let how has this happened is it surprising how have you um was it a very planned approach of kind of going down this route or did you kind of let fate take take its take its way? Yeah, I mean, it's a super interesting thing. I think before I originally started my undergraduate degree, I was interested in doing politics, philosophy and economics at Oxford. And I sort of had this uh, pivot over to studying English. And the reason I did that was in the back of my mind, I knew that I wanted to study politics and I wanted to study philosophy. But I wanted to do a lot of other things as well. And I think that my English degree gave me the space to do that. And mm. similarly, one of the attractive things about the Schwarzman program was this idea of the breadth of global affairs. I mean, it, it, in some ways, it's it's super broad. Like, what is that? But it means you can pursue whatever angle you wanted to. And I think the other thing, as you touched on, was doing uh degree that gave me not that much contact time meant that I had a lot of time to go ahead and do other things as well. So you mentioned STEER, you mentioned the consultancy projects that I was working on at university. And I think what that gave me was a little bit of flexibility. Um, and I think that what I would say is that potentially there's some element of fate, but it's also a case of putting yourself at the right place at the right time. And I think mm -hmm. having the flexibility to work within that, to, to make plans and then to reinvigorate plans is something that I found really useful at my undergraduate degree, at least. That is very relevant, but I have to say that there were a lot of times where you were very proactive with, with the things that you wanted to achieve as well. So um, I know that, you know, starting a consultancy kind of, not firm but like a an initiative within your university years you were you didn't have that much maybe commitment from university time in terms of contact hours but you're still managing a whole lot of workload and then you were from from scratch trying to make contacts and making making kind of contacts and communications with people who may want to engage you so that must have been quite unconventional you didn't have like a, a script or a playbook to look into you just had to kind of figure it out how did that come about and where, where how does that kind of still shape the way you approach life yeah i think um that the, the not so glamorous answer is there's a lot of wing in it that goes on and i think um a case of learning on the job um i think particularly with uh, the consulting work that i did i sort of threw myself into that having done a little uh, a few different things but thought that the best way to uh, achieve things is just to go out and do it and i think how many times have you heard 
the, the old cliche of the person who had a million ideas for businesses that are now unicorns, but but never started the business themselves. And I always mm -hmm. wanted to be someone that threw themselves into it. I think it's definitely how I learn. And I think my most um, formative experiences have become, first of all, I've uh, come to me first of all when I wasn't really sure what path I was going down and just had to uh, improvise and also yeah in avenues that were completely new to me and I think coming to China is a great example so I've been in China a couple of months now but as you will know my plan was always to go into the civil service after I'd finished university mm -hmm. and it was only um, speaking to a careers advisor at university actually and she said to me well why don't you think about going doing a master's? And if you want to be a diplomat, why are you going doing a master's in an English speaking country? There's this cool opportunity in China. And I had all of a week or two weeks to, to completely pivot my track, um, completely pivot my interest towards China. And, and when I arrived in this country, I, I didn't know much of the language. I mean, my interests, although I was interested in China, it wasn't my historical background. Um, but I think you find your feet pretty quickly because you have to, when you jump in at the deep end, you, you've got to swim pretty fast, right? Yeah. And tell me a little bit about this program because it's quite a unique one. It's, it's, it is one of the most prestigious global affairs masters in the world. Um, there's, there's so much about it, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you. And because I think if people are considering a kind of a unique master's program after an undergraduate degree, which maybe in anything could, could really benefit from hearing about this. Yeah, so I think unique is, is definitely the right adjective and particularly at the moment where it's been so hard to, to travel at all. Mm. And I considered going doing um, masters in public policy over in the US and then found the Schwartzman program. And what it is, is basically came out of this idea that the world is pivoting towards China and we see all the time how difficult that is politically to, to engage with, particularly in the UK where I'm from and also in the US. And I think the idea of the program was to create a generation of um, leaders who can better engage with China. And I think there's so much to be said for um, just being able to speak the language, engage a little bit with the culture and, and know how people think. And I think we've had some, some great speakers come and speak to us. And one thing that always um, stuck with me was a speaker came in and said, you don't need to know how to speak Chinese fluently, but it would be nice if you learn how to say the names properly, because Mandarin is obviously spoken in tones. And I think that little anecdote can be taken to encapsulate the program in general. It's mm -hmm. an idea of taking you over to study. It's a third master in global affairs, a third Chinese studies and a third leadership studies to develop this little insight and little flavor for a year of what it means to lead in China and how China can engage with the world and, and more importantly, how the world can engage with China. Very interesting. Um, and, and you get a lot of people from very varying backgrounds as well, right? From um, in terms of age experiences and, and geographic kind of connections too. Yeah, definitely. I think so. The program is, again, a, a third, a third, a third split. And it's a third American students, a third from the um, from China and a third from the rest of the world. And they're from varying age groups um, from age 21, the youngest scholars to age 28, 29. And I think it's really interesting to be with the people from from different backgrounds as well. I guess the, one of the key things in global affairs is recognizing that politics isn't just electoral politics. It's not all about being prime minister, but politics is something that influences yeah. all areas of our lives. So yeah. on this program, I'll be doing health 
in one day, education another, and security on the third day. Um, so it's been really interesting to see how they all fit together geographically in terms of what people from different backgrounds, um, what worldviews they bring together, but also people's subject expertise and, and that sort of thing. And it's something that's very much influenced, you mentioned my work with the think tank, it's, it's a similar idea there. And I think um, influence the way that I work in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. I actually want to kind of take the episode in a, in, a, in a slightly different or kind of building on this direction of of politics. This is not something that, although it's it's slowly changing, young people don't really want to engage with politics or, or local government or even national government. Um, we're seeing a lot of shifts since uh, in the past few years of kind of like the way with uh, kind of uh, American <laughs> presidencies, as well as COP, as well as BLM, all these kind of movements have have pushed us to actually say, hey, young people need to have a voice. But it's still kind of still something that is not as as popular. Now, I wonder what what motivated you at, a, at such a young age to end up or pursue this kind of more political, even if it isn't going to be exactly like, you know, become a politician, but actually just being aware and, and trying to explore this pathway further. What what was driving you in that? Yeah, so I think that the, the key shift for me was a shift that, uh, from this cliche of young people having all the desire to change, but not the ability to do so. Mm. I've seen over the past few years, and particularly in the climate space where young people are trailblazers, this shift to young people making an impact now. And mm -hmm. I think um, beyond the obvious examples of Greta Thunberg, etc., you've seen that um, protests in Germany this year over climate change have led to the government changing the law and that sort of thing. So I think politics is is more accessible now than ever for, for young people. So STEER, I know we've mentioned a couple of times, that was a, a think tank that I founded to connect um, Europe and Asia. And like you said, we've got people working all across Europe and Asia now on policy, cult policy cultural and capacity building activities. But I think for me, the important thing there isn't what we say, it's just the fact that young people have this voice and are and now have a platform to engage and be political. And I think there are definitely really bad things, particularly when it comes to politics, about social media. But one thing it has done is remove those barriers uh, to entry for young people. And I guess the issue now is that how we make politics accessible in terms of how we're teaching people about politics mm -hmm. in order to continue that engagement further. Yeah, and I was just I was literally going to get onto this because one of my many challenges with our current education system is, and this is this is just one facet of it, is the fact that we're taught so little about our country's judicial structures, our governance, our politics, and yet we, and, and as much as someone say I'm not political or not, you're, you're, in, you're in politics because you're existing in a, in a country, you know, once you hold a passport or residency in anywhere in the world, you're, you're engaging in the politics of that part of the world. So what are your thoughts on how our education system kind of takes, takes, takes place and how it kind of allows us to understand this, these concepts? Yeah, I think um, the, the phrase that you just used, I'm not political, is, is such a, a, a key question here, because I think mm. it's this idea that to be involved in politics, you have to be political, which invariably means like party political or take a, a stance on an issue mm -hmm. as opposed to, to being knowledgeable about it. And I think for me, there's, there's three things that are really important when it comes to educating people about politics. I think the first thing is, how do we engage with politics in a way that isn't just academic? I think a lot of my exposure mm. in 
school was either like a really by rote learning about how parliament works and how a law passes through parliament uh, and or study of British political history, which is, is really interesting and really important in and of itself, but it doesn't exactly make politics real. And I think one way we do this is through things like podcasts that, that we've seen rising up over the past few years, which are, which are really engaging. So I'm not sure if you've come across um, Matt Ford's The Political Party, but he interviews a long form interview politicians in a really accessible, uh, mm -hmm. friendly, like a, a bit of banter. And I think it's, it's moving away from politics as something that's really formal and institutionalized. And I think uh, the second thing is recognizing exactly as you said, this breadth of influence that politics has, that politics is everywhere. And it isn't just a question of electoral politics. It doesn't begin in a campaign and end on election day. And it's not just the prime minister, yeah. not just laws. It's, it's sort of a bit of everything. And then I think the third thing is exactly what you said, right? That to get involved in politics doesn't mean to be political. And I think particularly amongst young people, those people who do discuss politics are those that are like that have really strong party allegiance or willing to debate hammer and tongs on every issue. I think that can put other young people off. Yeah. So it's about how we manage that discourse as well. You you started to share some some pieces of kind of like advice and things to look out for, but how can uh, I I still find myself quite uh, knowledgeable about lots of different structures and and growing up uh, in a in Saudi Arabia, coming from a Pakistani background, now living in the UK, um, kind of being like all over the place and not not even kind of being able to point to back to a home, you know, where where is home? What 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 sort of kind of political system am I actually in? Because I'm part of a little bit of everything. Um, I know my I'm, I'm I'm becoming less and less unique in this third culture kid type type di dynamic dynamics, um, but I find myself quite overwhelmed with everything that that there is about these structures um which one do i which political system do i follow like even if i'm if i'm based in the uk you know the us has such a big influence china has such a big influence global politics where where do i begin and how can i start to um maybe not engage in discourse but actually start to like take action to some extent i don't know if there's there, if that should be the next step of it within it as well or not yeah, I think you raise like a, a really interesting point about sort of, yeah, where is home for people, particularly people who've lived abroad for a long time. And I think the really important thing is like removing that pressure to be an expert, because like if, if we're defining politics as something as broad as, as we were talking about it before, it's fairly obvious that like you can never be an expert in all those different areas. And I think mm -hmm. just it's a case of, finding a couple of topics, a couple of newspaper articles you're interested in, and then following that that rabbit hole and seeing where it takes you. I think it's the same as anything. I think to try and take this comprehensive overview of this is how this political system works is something that, that takes time. And I think we were talking a little bit before about reducing the barriers to entry to politics. Um, and I think that comes from, from exactly reducing the pressures to do so as well. And in terms of um, making making a, a difference or, or making an impact or advocating for change, I think it, it starts from the, exactly the same roots, that you find an issue that you're passionate about and then you can, the, the, the power of the internet today means that you can find even on Facebook other groups to, to get involved with. 
I think a lot of um, my own experience in, in, in politics or interest in, in the political comes from finding a couple of student think tanks that gave me the opportunity to hear from speakers, to write articles and that sort of thing. And that was all online. And then later through my university that had student societies there and that sort of thing. So if you're yeah. of that age, that's another way to do it too. But I think certainly it, 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 you're not precluded from that if you're not at university. It's just a case of finding an issue you're interested in and, and taking it from there. Okay. I'm going to continue to play devil's advocate a little bit more because I just want to kind of like unpack as far as possible. Sure. Um, so, so, and this is not kind of strictly towards politics, but there is a whole load of kind of very, very polarized views on the internet. And you can, you can end up understanding or hearing something which, you know, fake news and all that kind of stuff. It can really misinform you as well as you know look for good stuff um how do you deal with that like and i'm the kind of extremes go towards like brainwashing right um how do you as a young person trying to maybe not engage but at least try to get an awareness of the political systems that are around you how do you make sure that you actually stay discerning of the information that's out there yeah so so it's, it's a great question and to, to some extent the million dollar question right and i'm mm. sure we've all had this experience but I remember like particularly pertinently it was to do with with US politics that like being made aware that like I am very much in my own rabbit hole or echo chamber of Facebook when occasionally you stumble across a, a post in your newsfeed which is on the other political extreme and you go mm. in and suddenly you see these people that didn't even really exist as real people in your head and viewpoints that that you certainly have, have never encountered in the flesh before. And I think, like like you say, that that's certainly really concerning when we're, when we're reinforcing that with the social media we consume, with the sort of traditional media we consume. And I think the key is is not exactly a hot take, but it's just a breadth of of news sources, a breadth of media that you're consuming, but also a breadth of people that we speak to. Mm. And I think one thing um, that that is particularly pertinent to me uh, example is is brexit um that when i where i grew up i grew up in the northwest of england and it was very heavily leave voting population um to the extent that i didn't know or my parents generation didn't know many people who voted for remain and then moved to, to cambridge which is obviously a young student um, population and you would have thought nobody in the country voted for it and I actually got to see the disconnect between the two sides that couldn't see each other yeah. just because of a geographical move and I think it's it's harder to break down that that boundary because it doesn't really exist in space on social media but I think it's just a question that if you want to be politically informed you have to go and read something maybe from slightly further right or slightly further left than you're used to just to get a sense of those viewpoints as well that's really interesting and such a such a good example of 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 it as well because yeah we we are in this echo chamber and we tend to see what we want to see that's that's how the recommender system is built right um yeah. and actually let's let's kind of uh kind of expand this you know let's zoom out a little bit further because what you tried to do with steer was you realized that there was no student think tank that was actually looking at europe asia relations and yet mm -hmm you know, some of the, you know, such huge continents, such influential con continents, and no one was actually talking about it. Uh, and there were no spaces or platforms for students to kind of share or learn or exchange ideas. What do you think about that? Was that, was that, is that surprising? Is that, 
concerning? So I, I think for me, it was, again, I, I spoke earlier about putting yourself in the right place at the right time. And I think that it was the fact that there was definitely an opportunity that potentially wasn't there 10, 20 years ago to do this sort of thing, not only technologically and because we were used to remote working, but from a sort of ideas basis as well. Mm. And I can unpack that a, a little more. So one of the examples that I always give, and this is tangentially related to what we we're just talking about, is when I was in my first year of university, I studied an extracurricular Russian course alongside my degree. And the essay that we had to, to write as a sort of end project for this course was a take on uh, Dostoevsky's essay, What is Asia to Us?, which talks about Russia's difficulties in defining themselves as Europeans or Asians. So mm. it's this idea that he says in, in Europe, we're, we're Tatars and in Asia, we're the Europeans and they're, they're caught in between. And I think that what we've seen with the advent of the Internet, the rise of social media is particularly amongst young people, less definition geographically, that we're sort of Asian or European. And these are firmly demarcated things and, and different silos. And mm. I think there's a lot more interweaving. And we're thinking more about how we can cooperate now to tackle big global issues. So come back to climate change uh, is one. The internet regulation is another. And I think like we formed steer at a time where, yes, there was this shift towards Asia in terms of the sense of world power. And that was sort of only magnified by the ways in which Asian countries on the whole dealt a lot better with the pandemic than European or, or American countries. Um, but I think also there was this shift in mindset that moved people away from defining themselves geographically that I think still was able to take advantage of quite a lot. And and it's it's grown so quickly as well. And I remember speaking to you just at its at its idea stage, and I and I watched it kind of like blossom and grow into a, into an into a think tank that has over fifty people volunteering on a day to day basis and producing. And I recently saw you had your summit. Um, what's 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 in plan for that next? And what do you want to where do you want to take it? Yeah. So I think um, it's been a, an amazing journey so far, and. The most amazing learning experience. I'm sure with with Zenoch yourself, you look back and you yeah. kick yourself for things you've done earlier. But it's all part of that learning curve. And we've got some amazing new uh, projects coming up over the course of this year. So we've got a flagship cultural event in February. Um, we've then got a summer school for people from Europe and Asia to come to Cambridge University um, to study in the summer. And then long-term, what we're starting to do is we're starting to launch our own physical chapters where we'll host in-person events to complement the main steer body, um, online. And we've actually just launched yesterday, our first chapter in Singapore. Oh, so wow. one over the next few years is to, is to sort of expand that further. Um, mm. so hopefully steers here to stay. And I think it's, it's a really exciting time. And I think, um, yeah, each and every of those those 50 people have been amazing um, just in terms of the ideas they bring to the table. And I think you can't beat that sort of innovativeness of a, of a new starting organization. So it's it's really amazing. exciting place right now. Amazing. And those of you listening can check it out at steerthinktank.com. Uh, we'll yeah. include the link in the description. But my final question, because we do get to an end very, very quickly um, and we can speak for hours. There may be listeners who would have listened and been inspired by some of the achievements that you've been able to do in, in such a short period of time in the directions you've taken. What is your kind of 
advice for young people, whether it's political or not, you know, just in general, trying to break through and pursue their career pathway that or, or dream that they have? Um, what is something that you've learned and would, would, would reflect and, and would want to share to those young people? Yeah, I mean, I, I've mentioned it a, a couple of times in, in passing, but I sort of firmly believe that a lot of the sort of things that I've managed to do have not been through any sort of great ability and have mostly been through luck. But I think what I have been able to do is, is sort of put myself in the right positions for these lucky things to happen. And mm -hmm. I think exactly like you said um, earlier, it's a case of just finding the space and having the desire and the proactivity to go out and do things. I think sometimes it's it's not always worthwhile learning exactly how to do something before you jump in. And it's better to just jump in and do it. So you asked about STEER and it being why it was a no organization that existed. Well, there's a couple of other organizations that do now exist. We were just the first to get there. And it's because we just jumped in with two feet. So yeah, I think just put yourself in the right place at the right time. Perfectly timed. Thank you so much, Luke. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks, Uber. Have a good day.